everybody. This is your host, Jeff Morton. Welcome to Returning to Eden. Uh, I am joined with my co-host, Dina Dye, Dr. Dina Dye. How are you, Dina? I'm doing well, Jeff. Doing well. Well, we've been, um, Dina and I have been uh, kind of on a, an excursion doing other things, and we spent the last couple of shows talking about my trip to Peru and, and her uh, successful show that she's got uh, going on at, uh, with uh, Israel TV Network. But tonight we're kind of going to jump back into why we do this show in the first place, and that is, you know, returning to the concepts and, and all of the activity that's going on in Eden, uh, kind of coming away from all the religious doctrines, the theological and exegesis and all of this stuff, just to go back to the simplicity of the garden. And tonight I, I was talking with Dina earlier in the week, and I said, you know, this, this whole thing, about uh, Adam being placed into the garden. Of course, I'm talking about Genesis 2.15, where it says that God put Adam in the garden. That, that has been something that I've talked to Dean about a couple of times. Tonight we're going to kind of tear that, that verse down a little bit because our premise is that we're talking about a, a temple situation in the garden, and we're talking about God appointing Adam to do certain things. And uh, so when we look at the patterns of all of the people that he appointed, we kind of see some comparisons. But for some reason, Moses started with the recollection of the story of Adam in the garden. And so, Dina, um, I'm just going to read the verse uh, in my Bible. It says here, And the Elohim took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. And there's quite a bit packed into that little sentence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, why don't you kind of jump in? And because just before the show, you were telling me there was two places. Where yeah. Like. So why don't you go ahead and... and it will be, and then hopefully, even when we're done, folks will go back and reread the entire chapter. So I probably don't have time to do that now. But this is a, a kind of a parallel with verse 8. And we have that God planted, this is important, a garden in Eden. And see, we have a distinction here between a garden and Eden, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. To the east, and he placed. Now the word there, the root is sim, sim, which means to put, to put or to place the man whom he had formed. So that's in verse 8. And then in verse 15, we see that God took the man, and actually there, the idea of take uh, comes from the, the root lachach, uh, which is actually a term for betrothal, but that's another story. So that God took the man and he rested him. The, the root there is nach, N-A-C-H, for lack of a better <laughs> spelling. But he rested him in the Garden of Eden to work it and guard it. Which And it doesn't matter what scholar you're reading. Everybody agrees these are two terms for service in the sacred space. Yes. So to work it would be, you know, functioning with the ceremonies, etc. And to guard it, uh, shamar, is, this, is the root for the, the mishmar, the, the mishmarot in the second temple, uh, actually even the first temple that David established. So there was this aspect of guarding the sacred space to keep corruption out and then serving the sacred space to mediate between you know God and man 
But the key in this verse, again, is this idea of resting. And it's totally missed. It's not translated like that anywhere that I've ever found. And I mean, I've got an orthodox uh, translation in front of me, and, and it translates it place. But there's a whole world of difference between place and rest. So the concept of rest, which we've talked about in previous shows, is that enemies have been defeated and now a temple can be built. So it, it, this is, again, temple language. We've got three words in here that speak of temple language, the resting, the working, uh, working serving, and the guarding. So it's very interesting. Well, the reason why, I, you know, I was the peculiar thing about this as I studied this and uh, as we do the show, uh, it occurred to me uh, some time ago, and I've, I've talked about it on the show, that when I, whenever I saw God place Adam into the uh, garden, I always visualized this great big hand scooping some dust up or dirt up, forming mm -hmm. a man, and then, you know, plopping him right down in this, this paradise, this garden. Right. And, um, so I decided to do something last week. I decided to ask several people, when you read this verse, what do you see? What do you visualize in your head? And I, I probably asked 10 or 12 people, and every one of them said, well, when God made Adam out of the dirt, and then he picked him up and put him in the garden, and I go, okay, so when he put him in the garden, what are you seeing? And, and everyone said, well, I'm seeing a hand put him over in mm -hmm. of a wall. Right. And when, then when I came back and I said, well, what if he's actually appointing him to a position? Right. What, what if that's what's really going on? And then we see that according to the Levitical uh, uh, laws, he has to have a wife in order to be a priest. Right. Right. We all, all of a sudden, I was looking at Leviticus 21 going through all the priestly right. laws. Of course, there's that wife. Yep. She to be a virgin. And Could so not serve without a wife. Yes. So now we see that Adam is appointed to something. He's placed into a into a into a garden, into a temple, and he has to have a wife. And so the wife is there. Well, I'm starting to see the pattern of how Elohim orders things to take place. And the curious thing, which is what I think you're writing about in your book, and we'll, maybe you'll share on that a little later on, but the curious thing is that Moses begins this whole narrative with the story of Adam. Right. That that's a curious thing to me. He could have he could have done it with Noah because we right. see the same pattern. So how would you address that? Because every single person I spoke to saw this mythical hand, right, like this newly formed naked man into a garden. Well, and here you know I, I've talked about this before because the Bible is only concerned really about priesthood and so priesthood functions in the sacred space since we don't understand Adam as being a priest and actually we could argue king because the concept of to rest has to do with kingship because we don't recognize that God is specifically focused in on this we don't see that there's a world outside it that where there's people living and functioning and life is going on. He is simply giving us what's going on inside the boundary of the sacred space. So the whole of the Bible takes us through this concept of priest. And, you know, at, when, we, when we get to Yeshua 
and because of his death and burial and resurrection, and he has made us a kingdom of priests. Uh, that's the role of mankind is to be a priest and mediate. And so uh, this is the focus. It is essentially how Moshe functioned. I would argue that he was a high priest. And so he went into the presence of God and he was given the instructions on how to build the sacred space. So everything is about priestly service from beginning to end. I remember some time ago, I looked at that word priest. Um, and if we look at, you know, it literally means servant. It means to serve. And then I was reading something not too awfully long ago where if we're talking about the earthly temple being a, um, a shadow of, of the heavenly temple, then the angels would fall in line with that priestly service. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so we see that concept is not just something that we, we see angels in, in our, again, we see this fluffy stuff right. fluttering around, you know, and, and, and they all look like Greek dudes uh, doing this, this thing, and yet it doesn't follow the pattern of how no. God Right. the tabernacle, how he gave to David very specific details, and the same thing with Moses on how this was all to be done, and so we see this whole pattern repeated, whether we're talking about the Garden of Eden or the Temple in Eden, which right. is something I'm starting to really think is what we're talking about, or the Temple that, uh, uh, which was the Ark, right. uh, and that Adam or Noah and his family were redeemed, saved. Right. Right. Uh, or if we look at every single capital city in every major country in the earth, we see a temple. We right. see Washington D.C. has the Capitol building. We all of these things are they're, they're, it's a template of how God ordered things. And of course, if if God forbid the entire D.C. was removed, it would create chaos and pandemonium in this nation in the right. same way that the temple in Jerusalem, when it was torn down and burnt, that was the oh, center absolutely. of the world. Yeah. So God is establishing a temple, very first thing, with Moses recalling the story, and then Moses goes out in the wilderness, and he has to set up a tabernacle. There's a pattern here that's pretty fluid about God being in a sacred space right. whereby he encounters mankind. And this is kind of the heart and soul of what you're really writing about these yeah. days. Uh, well, and again, the purpose of the temple was to bring order and stability. And the king who ruled from that place was the one who, who brought order to that world. And as you mentioned before, angels are not these you know, beings floating around. They are priests that serve in heaven. Right. And so we see, for, in, for example, the high priest who goes into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, how does he dress? He wears his white garments because he is uh, really functioning as if to be an angel or a priest, uh, uh, a priest in heaven. As he enters through the, the curtain, it's as though he were immortal, you know, entering into that divine space. So we see him functioning like the angels in heaven function. That, that is our model. And again, over and over again, this is repeated. I, I can't emphasize enough that the Bible is really about the priesthood from beginning to end. And so that tells us, okay, you know, what do we do? 
So, for instance, uh, as I, I spoke about just before we went on the air, everything in the ancient world in terms of temples, and not even for Israel, but all the other ancient temples, were divided up into a tripartite structure. Everything is in terms of three. So, of course, we have heaven, earth, and sea. And this is no different for the garden pattern, because Eden and the garden are two sep are their separate spaces. Eden represents the Holy of Holies in the temple, and the garden represents the holy place in the temple, and then the field is outside. So th that's our tripartite structure. So if Ab Adam is serving as priest, entering into the garden, then the things that he's doing in that space relate to what's in the holy place in the tabernacle and in the first temple. And of course, that'd be serving the menorah, the altar of incense, and uh, the table of the bread of the faces. So, because, because he wasn't, I mean, really, really we can just take this to a common sense level. If he was appointed to do something, we have, we have what that appointment required. We have it written and then the right. order. So we, I mean, it's not like he was placed into the garden and said, okay, now you can lounge and have a good day. Sure. Yeah. He's there yeah. to prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's what he's there. And yeah. by him being placed there in the first place, the order of how God wants things is being established. And right. of course, he desecrates the temple and everything goes to pot. But that pattern we see throughout the scriptures as well. Yeah, yeah. We see desecration. Right, within the sacred space. And, yeah. and this is, so the, the whole of the Bible is about how to cleanse the sacred space and restore heaven and earth. That's the gospel, you know, in a nutshell. And of course, the first Adam flunked, and then we have the second Adam who would come and, of course, shed his blood in terms of covenant in order to restore heaven and earth and then enter into the sacred space in the world beyond time and take care of business as a high priest, you know, in, in that environment until such time as heaven and earth are restored. So there's, you know, there's, I don't think there's a chapter you can get through that doesn't have some element of what we're talking about. Well, I was reading through your book, um, uh, The Temple Revealed. I remembered reading this. So I went back and looked it up. The Temple Revealed in Creation, the Portrait of the Family of, uh, of the Family. And on page 131, you write, In the ancient Near East, the god and his consort took up residence in their newly constructed temple. Their sacred wedding was a seven-day yeah. <laughs> dedication. And the couple's union guaranteed the fertility of the land and the fruitfulness of the people. The Holy of Holies, the world outside of time, is the inner sanctum of the cosmic temple where God resides with wisdom, his bride. Together, God and wisdom created the world. Uh, and you cite a couple of uh, uh, passages in uh, in the Gospel of Philip, but here again, we're seeing this this kind of like family being established yeah. in order for the two to become one, in order for life to life to go to continue. That's kind of it's interesting to me that Dina, I would imagine that when Moses is telling this story to the children of Israel. This wouldn't have been an unfamiliar setting to them. Right. They would have been able to relate to him because this was the world that they lived in. He was just backtracking them away from the Pharaoh who claimed to be a god, and he was revealing 
to them who their real God was. But at the same time, they would have understood all of this. They would have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No question. They wouldn't have been sitting there going, oh, the garden. Wow, were there flowers in there? <laughs> right. They Most would have been Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to, you know, while you were talking about, you know, this concept of the, the God and his consort entering into the sacred space. So in chapter 3, verse 23, which we all just kind of throw it out there and say, well, you know, Adam blew it and then he was exiled out of the garden and the rest of the story is about his return right back to the garden. Um, at the, but the Hebrew, although it's translated here God expelled him, the Hebrew word there is shalach, which means God sent him out. And it's the exact same word as an apostle. And when Moses was the sent one and Yeshua was the sent one, so that word there is identical to being sent out. It doesn't have in that context anything about being expelled or exiled. So Adonai expelled him, it's translated, but should be sent out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground. So now we see he's being sent out of the garden to work the ground and that's why I maintain our tripartite structure is Eden, the inner sanctum, the garden, which is the Holy of Holies, and the altar area being the field. So now he's sent out, and of course he's got to deal with thistles and thorns and all that stuff. So he's sent out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which he was taken from. And having been, now this translates it uh, sent out, or driven out, excuse me, the Hebrew word there is garash. So having been garashed, the man, uh, he's stationed to the east of the garden, the, the Caribbean. Well, I found in one place garash also means divorce. Is that interesting or what? Yeah. Sense. That follows the Levitical template of yep. what happened on, on Sinai. I mean, it's the same thing. Exactly. So, and it doesn't say, interestingly enough, it doesn't mention Eve was thrown out. It just says Correct. man out. Yep. And so we see, it's almost like the same thing. He could have dispatched Satan in the garden. He could have destroyed him right then and there. But he didn't. He said, you're going to toil with man for the, all of your days. And he didn't destroy Adam. He said, now go out and do what? Well, and do we really know? Okay, so, I mean, I'm just throwing this out because I'm right in writing all of this. So he, he, he is no longer allowed to enter the holy place, right? right. So he's now in the, in the field area, and that's where the altar is. That's where food is grown and all that sort of thing. And then we see... In that context, uh, Chava Eve gives birth to life. Is it possible that we now have the structure uh, to to rejoin the covenant? Blood is shed at the altar. Is it possible that he's still serving as a priest, and as he follows the proper protocol at the altar, he can still go back into the into the garden in some way? I mean, I know we got Karavim there. And is that really dealing with the Holy of Holies? I'm not sure. But, um, and then we have, you know, Noah, of course, and he enters into the sacred space. Well, let's so, pick up for a minute, because if we stick with what you just suggested with Adam still serving, well, we know that he was teaching his children sacrifice. Right. We know that he, we know that he was following the blueprint of what 
God placed because they were bringing the sacrifices. Right. He was teaching his children how to do yep. that. And so all of those things were still in play. They exactly. Just, they just didn't have a temple. Yeah, exactly. Uh, here we go so, again. Yeah, it's... It's very, and, and you know, when you go back to the story of uh, Cain and Abel, and there's, you know, people have debated this for the ages, you know, what was the problem here? Because uh, Abel brought the burnt offering, and Cain brought some kind of first fruit thing, and that was an issue. Um, I went back, and I, I found a source that said, uh, in the ancient times, the burnt, now we know by the time of the Second Temple period, the burnt offering was brought in the morning and in the in the afternoon or the evening sacrifice, if you will, three in the afternoon. So the and the burnt offering had to be the first offering in the morning, and the blood had to be the last in the day. But they said that er, in earlier the burnt offering was made in the morning and the grain offering was made in the afternoon. So Abel brought a burnt offering in the morning, <laughs> and it appears that Cain should have also brought a burnt offering, but he brought the afternoon offering, the mincha or the grain offering. And I thought, I thought that was really interesting. That I don't, it's not so much about what he brought, it's more about he didn't bring the right thing at the right time. And this was part of the holy service. Well, and we, we see too the setting up of the whole issue between the firstborn wanting everything and not wanting to share it. And we see this this, we see this story is fluid all the way through Scripture, sure. too, with yeah. Israel and Isaac, Esau and Jacob. But all uh, in the context uh, of service in the sacred space. Right, and one brother didn't want to do it, and right. the other one did. Yeah. And so, I mean, we see that, and here again, Abel's blood cries out of the ground because Cain killed him. And I, I've always wondered, why, Father, does Moses say, in the field? Right. Why does he point that out? Well, because there was no temple. Right. If we look at it that way, there's no temple, so nobody's lived. They're, they're outcast. Right. They're scattered. Yeah. Well, and what does Yeshua say? The field is the world. Yes. That's, but it's not the seas. So this is where we get confused. So we have this world field thing, then we have the garden holy place thing, and then Eden, the Holy of Holies, but surrounding that whole boundary, we have the seas, and the seas represented the nations. So you have the sacred space inside, you know, in the center with the nations all around, and the nation, that's a whole other animal dealing with the seas and the nations. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it, it just, again, like you say, it just keeps repeating over and over again. So our goal in this program is to try to lay out the foundation so that people can take these, these concepts and then they'll begin to see them all the way through the Bible, and especially when we get to uh, Yeshua. Well, and see, that's, that's kind of, uh, I mean, everything that we're talking about. In fact, I was telling somebody earlier this week, I said, if you, if you throw away all that quote-unquote Jewish stuff, then you've thrown away all the information about Yeshua. Because that's what that's all about. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how you slice it, dice it. It's all about that particular point in time when a restoration process. You know, I was listening to a fellow uh, brother this morning, and I'm going, okay. Uh, 
But I see we all have a filter and we all have, there's layers of how we can look at all this stuff. Correct. I see the renewing of the covenant, which guaranteed the rebirth of the nation of Israel, which guarantees the return of the Messiah, which guarantees that order is going to be brought, which guarantees that a new temple is going to be built. I Amen. see that storyline. Sure. As opposed to the, well, Jesus died for my sins. And I see a much bigger picture of what he was accomplishing. Right. Yes, because his forgiving sin was the key to the restoration of heaven and earth. I mean, without that, you don't have the restoration. It's the seminal moment in all of human history that one came and forgave sin and then gave access, you know, back into the sacred space. I was, I was going to show you, you know who N.T. Wright is. Yes. Yeah. He's like my favorite, my favorite one now. I'm, I'm going through my N.T. Wright phase. Yes. So I, I was out walking yesterday or the day before. I had my headphones on. I was listening to a lecture. And at the very end, a student asked him, because he is trying to get people back to the context and culture of the first century, understanding that Yeshua was Jewish and so were the disciples. And so the student was asking, okay, in light of all this, you know, what, what should we focus on? What should we be studying uh, in order to, to understand this better? And basically, N.T. Wright said, well, a really good, a really good area for studying, one that New Testament scholars have avoided, they know very little, it's not been really mined and researched, and there's so much more there. That area of study was the temple. I about, I screamed hallelujah on my walk, and I'm sure everyone just turned their head. I'm like, this guy is a man after my own heart. I was so gratified to hear that, because this, you know, someone like him to say, okay, we have failed in this department, and this is an area that needs research and study, especially from New Testament scholars. Well, I agree, and uh, the reason why I keep coming back to this whole concept that every nation has a temple is because that's kind of the template that, that the Father ordered the nations to exist under. In other words, we give credit to mankind where we really shouldn't sometimes. Right. If you, if you look... If you look at the temple of Washington, D.C., that governs the 50, quote-unquote, vassal states in the kingdom of America, well, we could use that same template 2,000 years ago when we're talking about Rome. Sure. Or we could go even further back when we're talking about Babylon, because all of these great societies, they all had one central location where all of the activity of the government, uh, I, I, I hate the word religion. I really do hate the word religion, folks. Yes. Uh, uh, but we see that all of these things, this is not a man-made concept, government. Right, this right. Not, this is not some... In other words, folks, uh, Dean and I, were, you know, we could have this conversation forever, but you guys happen to be a part of our conversation tonight. <laughs> um, the bottom line is that we're not different from those societies. We're a product of those societies, and those societies are a product of what God is doing in the earth. And we have to kind of get back to that. We have to get back to the fact that we're not creating something new. We're participating in what was created. Yes. That's kind of what the heart of this program is all about. So when you look at the patterns and you start breaking down these words, 
you start seeing a lot more going on than just two naked people prancing around in a garden. Exactly. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. Because in, in, the, in the linear thinking, two people were given this amazing thing. They screwed it up. They got covered with a couple of fig leaves and booted out of the garden. But that doesn't define the role of the Elohim of creation. He sacrificed an animal, and we see that sacrificial system in order for us to approach him. It's fluid through the entire scriptures. So it wasn't that he was rejecting them. He made a way for them. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And we yeah. need to keep that well, in mind. And again, they were stripped essentially of their priestly robes, right. their priestly garments. They, they, it, it, you could only go into the holy place wearing your priestly garments. You couldn't wear whatever you felt like wearing. And so they were no longer clothed in that way. And so now, you know, we take them outside into the sort of altar area. And then there's a process then to enter back into the uh, the holy place. And so I think, you know, I think that's, a understanding well, that kind of changes everything. Well, we can also apply the fact that we're all in the wilderness because we were thrown out of the garden. Mankind has been thrown out of the sacred space because of what we did. And, and it goes right back to the whole concept of desecrating the sacred space. That's what we're talking about in the fall of Adam and Eve. They desecrated the sacred space. And they willfully desecrated the sacred space. And the penalty was separation. Right. Period. Right. And the ideal of Messiah coming is to bring us back to the sacred space. Amen. Amen. Dina, that's our show for tonight. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we appreciate you coming along with us. And uh, we're going to be here next week. And we're going to keep talking about this and talking about this and talking about this. And we really, really do appreciate your participation. So stay tuned. We will see you next week. Dina, thank you. Well, thank you, Jeff. It was a pleasure. God bless you. And, and please, folks, check out Worship and Word Radio. They've got a lot of programs developing. Uh, just go to their website. You can, you can log in all of their stuff. You can click on the uh, Listen Now button and uh, get to know Scott and what he's done through his, uh, through his ministry in the radio station. And, and I, I'm sure he would appreciate that. So God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.